Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And I'm going to talk to you this morning about standing in the place of Christ. Standing in the place of Christ. And uh, what does that look like? I had another title called Open Hands and Full Hearts, but Standing in the Place of Christ. How many believe Jesus was more than a man? Amen. Okay, now prove it. That was just some of the questions I remember getting as a young person uh, when I, God got a hold of my life in the middle of my college uh, career somewhere between 2003, 2007, and, and I was getting uh, into the Lord and, and full of the Spirit. And I remember during that season, uh, just so many attacks of the enemy questioning my faith. So I remember as I began to work, I worked in a secular, and I went to school full time and worked, you know, on, on campus. And as I began to just kind of state my faith and share my faith, not being pushy, I remember people just saying, how can you believe something like that? Now, this is a very liberal university. How can you believe something like that? I mean, creationism, or how can you be that oppressive to women and your views of abortion? How can you even contemplate Man, what, what that worldview, I mean, I remember one guy, he's like, I've never even met one of you before. They're talking about a person who believes in creation, or uh, you, you should have seen the look on their face, though, when I told, told them that I was a person who spoke in tongues. They were like, this is like a zoo, you know, like, watch this, you know, there's like a plaque there, and they're like, what kind of a person, who are you? They just never had experienced that version of Christianity before. I remember uh, as, as I was beginning to just declare my faith, even on social media, just God was you know, just moving in my life. I remember high school friends coming out of the woodwork and just messaging me and for hours beginning to just debate uh, my view of God and faith. And, and not that I'd ever said anything oppressive to anyone else. I came off to them attacking their worldview. And they would begin to debate me for hours online just how oppressive I was being and how mean towards the world I was being just for simply saying how good God was. I remember going to the secular university and I was going to be a psychologist and uh, one day in abnormal psychology where we were studying schizophrenia and different things like that and uh, they had a guest lecturer come in and I don't even know who he was but for one hour he sat there in front of that psychology class and told them all the reasons why homosexuality is not in the New Testament and how the Bible is pro-homosexuality in a psychology class. I went to, I took a, my minor, it was in religious studies when I was on campus in, the, in that university, and, and I remember not single one of my religious studies professors believed in miracles, signs, and wonders. All of them believed Jesus was a good man, they did great things, and, but that, there was no supernatural thing. They debated uh, Jonah did never happen, uh, exec, the Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea never happened, and here's why, and they brought every scientific, archaeological, historical fact to discount everything that was supernatural in Scripture. I felt like I was one of the most uh, uneducated, little, nobodies, small town, from a rural place. You don't know nothing. You're just the minority, and you are so backwards, and your views are so outdated. How could you ever? How could you ever? That was 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. How difficult it is to stand today. How difficult it is to stand today. I thank God that, that what got me through those moments 
was an, a baptism, an immersion into the Holy Spirit that lit a fire inside of me. And I thank God there was a fire burning in me through those years that stood against my professors, my friends, my, my university, that God has a plan to raise up a remnant of Holy Spirit-filled people in this last days that's going to stand against every scheme of the devil that God still has a church that wants, is going to win. He still has a winning church. You know, there's a war against Christianity today, and there's been a war since 2000, from 2,000 years ago. In every generation, in every country, in every state, in every city, in every job, every workplace, in every family, every Christian has to decide, how am I going to stand for Jesus? It's going to look different. It's going to look different from me, even Iran, from me, from the, north, from the northeast of America, the southeast of America. It's going to look different how you and I stand for Jesus Christ. What does it look like for you? You have to determine in your life, in your family, in your job, in your context, what does it look like to stand for Christ in a day like today? I think in America today, it's become so easy to sit for Christ, though. It's been so easy to sit. What does it mean to sit? And this is something I've been guilty of in my life. When I sit, I lack the courage to tell my story. When I sit, I begin to fear man's opinions more than I fear God's opinions. When I sit, I try to put my responsibility on to paid professionals who do this Christianity job thing for a living, missionaries, evangelists, and pastors. When I begin to sit, it's when I'm not reflecting the character and attitude of Christ to those around me. When I sit, I'm not demonstrating God's gracious love for sinners, and I can find myself fighting in man's view, in man's kingdom, in man's world more than I fight spiritually. I fight physical things. I get mad about physical things. I get mad about the world and the way it is, but I'm not seeing it through God's kingdom. I'm sitting. So how am I standing today? How do you stand? How do I prove it to the world? that Jesus was more than just a man. In the book of Acts, where we're at this morning, we see this early church. They received power to overcome every human obstacle in the known world. They receive a love that is heavenly and it was never found. Never has ever been created a love like they experienced and they demonstrated. A heavenly love was given to them. They saw and they felt the glory of God. They began to testify to the resurrection of Jesus and many of them would pay the ultimate price for that testimony. They were hated by every single person at every single level of society, but they believed Jesus was worth the cost. So when Luke pins this work, he pins this, this book, Acts, he begins to encourage the church in every single age to be faithful to the Lord and to see what God has done and what God can do through a people who are willing to stand for Him. Amen? Look with me in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. How do we stand today? How do we stand like these in the book of Acts? We stand with empty hands and full hearts. Empty hands and full hearts. In Acts chapter 6, verse 8, if you're there, somebody say amen. Stoning Stephen, the early church elected seven men of good reputation. The Bible says full of the Spirit and full of wisdom to help administrate this social program that they had going on, this food pantry. Now, the revival is breaking out. I love that one of the first ministries of the church was uh, to help the poor. They filled in a gap in society. Nobody else was doing this. They became the Social Security office for their community. They began the people who were uh, reaching welcome to the broken. That, was, that began in Acts to find those who were disenfranchised. They said, we need seven men full of the Holy Spirit to help us administrate this food program that we have. And so seven men along, we have the 12 apostles. Now we have seven men full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And, and Luke notably writes in chapter 6, verse 5, that there was one guy, Stephen, and he makes a point to make sure we remember him. This man was especially 
full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, he says. And he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't even a pastor. He was just somebody who wanted to stand for Jesus. In fact, he was, if anything, he was a servant. And this servant of God, just another guy in the church who said, yes, I'll serve, I'll help. His ministry didn't just stay in the four walls of their church, but then to go to the street. And look what happens. Stephen, not a pastor, not a prophet, not an apostle, but a servant. It says, Stephen was full of grace and power and was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some of the men uh, from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, that was a bunch of freed uh, Jewish men from out of town, began uh, including both the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and began to argue with Stephen. Look at this. But they were unable to cope with his wisdom and by the spirit from whom he was speaking. And they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they, look what they did. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes that came up to him and dragged him away. And they brought him before the council. That's the Sanhedrin, the high council. And they put him before, uh, they put forward false witnesses who said, this man does not stop speaking against the holy place and the law. For we've heard him say this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses handed us down. He's attacking everything that we've built. And those who were sitting in the council stared at him. And then they saw his face, which is like the face of an angel. And Stephen preaches one of the longest sermons we have recorded in Scripture. We're not going to read it today. But he begins to preach from, from Abraham to Moses and Joseph. And he goes all the way down to David and Solomon. And he begins to preach the God's gospel redemptive plan. And he tells them how God has always been faithful to save you and to lead you and to bring the best for you. But every step of the way, you have been rebellious against him. He tried to raise up Joseph, but your brothers, they threw him in a pit. He tried to raise up Moses, but yet one of you accused him as being a murderer and rejected him. So Moses went to the desert. And then when Moses finally got the courage to come back and he said, yes, let's do this, let's go. And then an exodus happened and all these miracles happened. Then you built a calf in the wilderness. And every step of the way, God has been trying to save us, but yet we've been rebellious. And look what he says in chapter 7, verse 51. He says, you men who are of stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And he killed those who'd previously announced the coming of the righteous one, that's Jesus, and you've now become portrayers and even murderers of him. You received the law as even ordained by angels and yet you did not keep it. And now when they heard this, they were infuriated and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, look at that, he being full of the Holy Spirit, somebody say full. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He looked intently to heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they shouted with loud voices. They covered their ears and they rushed at him with one mind. And they driven him out of the city and they began, began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul who will become Paul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Does that sound familiar? Then he fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's death would begin the thing that spoke. Uh, actually sent out the early church. The persecution began heavily in Jerusalem and it was his death that launched the church to begin to fill the Great Commission. I'm going to give you just a few things here about how we can take Stephen's life and see how do we stand in our day and our, our, uh, what God has called us to do. Number one is we will get stoned for standing. 
There was evil men in this Jewish order. Look, I love what the, not love, I, look what they do. They begin to not just put it on themselves. They say they begin to manipulate a mob. Isn't that how evil people do? We don't want to be the ones to do it. We're going to get other people to do our dirty work. And they begin to uh, start a mob and a frenzy and begin to spread rumors and falsehoods about him. And then they lied about him and they got the high council involved and they had him arrested. And there was evil men. They were, but even when they couldn't uh, get him on the right thing, they began to argue against him. And they said, well, this isn't working. Let's try something different. You see, they couldn't argue with the wisdom the Spirit was speaking. You know, there's a day, Paul says, is coming in 2 Timothy 3. He says, but realize this, in the last days, there's going to be difficult times. That's to you and to me. He says, there are going to be days of people who will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid people such like that. Man, that's just the news, right? That's just like social media right there. It's like, that's the day, he said, that's a day that God is going to raise up a church to stand. And you're going to have to determine in yourself, how will I stand? We're standing in a day where people can march in uh, the streets and saying that God is gay. We are standing in a day where people who can go to the Supreme Court when they have uh, uh, done a miraculous thing that allows uh, uh, the go back to the state levels for abortion and then take there in front of the Supreme Court and burn by in the street just a few weeks ago. We're living in a day where you can make millions of dollars selling your body on movies and internet and television where you can promote the most hideous violence on daytime and nighttime TV and make millions of dollars and you can get on nighttime television shows and slander God and mock God and mock His people. You can get elected to the highest courts, positions, offices in the land and promote your humanistic ideals over the biblical worldview that God has put in this place that makes this whole world come to be. You can stand and mock God at the highest places in this country. That's the day you and I are standing in. That's the day you and I have been called to stand in. So how will you stand? How do I prove this, that Jesus is more than a man? You see, there's a day, it says, not only will it be evil men who will slander you for the wisdom of God, like Stephen, but they'll be haters of truth. They couldn't argue against the truth, so they tried to shut it up. And like Jesus, here is Stephen standing before the same Sanhedrin. He's charged just like Jesus was charged with blasphemy. And his initial message really is no threat to these men. They said, you're telling us you're gonna, that Jesus is going to come and he's going to destroy this temple. Well, if Jesus is dead and you don't believe he's God, what does it matter? How can that be? Why is my view a threat to you? Because if you believe Jesus is not even God, that he's still dead, he's in a tomb somewhere, why does this affect you? Come on, isn't that true today? If God is dead, who cares if an atheist, if you're an atheist, if either I believe in God or not? What's my view to you? But there will be haters of truth. Why? Because truth uh, shows them their sin. Truth says that there is a God because there's something in their heart that knows, that knows, that knows there is a God. And He's coming to judge this world for its sin and its rebellion. How could this be? Peter began to preach, Stephen began to preach the right hand of God. Jesus is there. He is, he's there. He's alive. He's at the right hand of the Father. It says they begin gnashing their teeth at him like wolves. You know, Satan's always the enemy of truth. And Jesus even said, I've given them your word in John 17, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You know, standing for Christ today is not going to be easy, and you can't do it alone. He said, though, but you'll have a power to be a witness. And witness, we said a few weeks ago, was the word martyr. Now, God doesn't call everyone to die for him in the physical, but he does call everyone to be a living sacrifice. 
He calls all of us to be a living sacrifice. You know, around the world today, there has been more than 70 million martyrs for Jesus Christ since the time of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr. There's been 70 million since then. And I looked through the, the, the databases. It says that there have been more martyrs killed in the last hundred years than even under Roman Empire. There are seven to 10,000 people martyred every year for Jesus Christ, and over 100 million are being openly persecuted. Tertullian, he would write later, he's an early church father after this time period, he said it was the blood of Christians that was the seed that propagated the church. The blood of Christians became the seed because that, that, that witness uh, couldn't be shut down. And, and even Paul said in 2 Timothy, he says, yes, every person who desires to live a godly life should expect to suffer persecution. You should expect to be hated because they hate truth and you are the people of truth. And I love what Matthew Henry says, it's not the suffering it's not the suffering that makes a martyr. It's the cause. It's the cause. It's not the suffering, but the cause that makes the martyr. What is your cause? What's the reason you're standing for? It's not, it's not about let's look for suffering. It's about standing for the cause of the message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came and was born of a virgin, that He lived a holy life, that He died on the cross for your sin and my sin and the whole world's sin. He was buried in a tomb, and on the third day He rose up. And now today He's ascended to the Father, and He is there at the right hand making intercession for the saints. And someday, very, very soon, He's coming back to judge the world at the resurrection of the wicked and the dead. He's coming back. And He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords. That is the truth that has set this whole world in motion. And that's the truth that this whole world will end with. There is a God. He has a Son. His name is Jesus. How do you stand? You see, you and I are mouthpieces of God. Every Old Testament prophet was called the trumpet, and you and I are the trumpets of God. We're declaring a warning today that God has a saving grace through the death of Jesus Christ. He has come to seek and save the lost. That's our cause. How do I do that, though? It's like, oh, that's great, Pastor Heath, but how do I actually do that? First, you have to have empty hands. Luke 6 says, blessed are you when men hate you. When they exclude you, when they revile you, they cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. And rejoice in that day, leap for joy, because indeed your reward is great in heaven. Because in like manner they did this to their fathers and the prophets. Stephen stood there that day, and he stood with nothing in his hands. Nothing in his hands. He could have easily just said, you know what, to hell with all of you, because that would have been the truth. I had a, a person that became, came to our campus on university so many times, and he, uh, Brother Jed was his name, and he began to just preach and just point out people and call them all kinds of names and, and just be telling them they're all going to hell. And Stephen could have said there, and he could have done all that. He could have had stones in his hands. This is what you've done, and you're guilty. You're guilty of death, and you deserve hell. And he would have been right. But what did he say? He began to preach the redemptive plan of God from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And even to the very last breath, what did he say? Father, forgive them, just like Jesus, for they don't know what they're doing. Lord, unto your hands I commit my spirit. This isn't about me, Lord. This is about you. And Stephen had an empty hand that day. He had an empty hand. Why? Because he was standing in the place that Christ stood. I wanted you to think about this for a moment. Just a few months ago, Jesus himself was standing in the very same spot as Stephen stood there and all the court was gathered around him. He stood in the place. Maybe perhaps there was just a little bit of blood from Jesus still left on the floor and he's standing in the same place that Jesus stood. In that very same place, the Bible said he could have called 10,000 angels to come down and stop this thing. But in the grace of God, Jesus stood there and he held it back and he uttered not a word 
even though he was beaten and slandered and accused and mocked for being the king that he was. He stood there in the position of grace before the same council, charged for the same reason as Stephen, blasphemy against his own self. And Stephen stood there, no doubt, thinking this is the same place Jesus stood, in the place of grace. And if Jesus stood here, I'm standing right where he stood. This same Jesus who said also just a few days before that, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. See, Jesus could have cast the stone of stones. The Bible says in the last days, Jesus will be the rock that will crush this whole world. He'll be a stone that comes off the mountain and establishes his kingdom. But even Jesus didn't cast a stone to those evil, wicked men. And Stephen stood there in the place of Christ. You see, when you stand for Jesus today before a wicked generation, you stand where Jesus stood. You stand for Christ. And that is a place of grace. It's so easy in the world today when people begin to mock us, just to want to mock them right back, just to begin to want to tell them down and tear them down. It's easy to get that what we would think is righteous anger burning up inside of us. But if Jesus held it in, who was the only innocent man, when you stand, be careful how you stand. Be sure there's no stones in your hand. Be sure there's no stones in your hand. They're going to accuse you and say all kinds of wicked things about you. But it says rejoice, for they did this to him. And you're standing in the place he stood. Drop the stones. He had empty hands because he realized, just like them, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm the sinner saved by grace. That we've all sinned, even these men, and even Stephen knew I was the sinner. And Jesus didn't throw a stone at me. So how can I throw a stone at these men? I'm saved by grace. I'm standing in the place of grace. I stand with no stones. And as he began to think about, probably no doubt, how what Jesus had gone just before him, the Bible says he began to fix his eyes on Jesus. He began to fix his eyes on heaven. I think that's why his face began to glow. He began to just forget about all the problems of the world that were around him. And no doubt Stephen was about to have some real problems. And you and I have some real problems. There's all kinds of things we could really say are real, literal problems in our life. And I don't think any of us have problems like he was about to have. And he began to fix his eyes, not on the problems of the world, but he fixed his gaze on Jesus. It says his face glowed like the angels, like a glory of God was ready. Remember when Moses went up to the, the mountain and he saw God face to face and Jesus communed with Moses and Moses had a little bit of that radiance come off on him. Stephen began to have that radiance come off on him. Come on, church, when you begin to fix your eyes on Jesus and not on this world's problems, you get a little glory of God. Man, you get captivated by him. How can you be captivated by looking up in the sky in this courtroom and they are gnashing at you? They're about to drag you. They begin to drag him through the streets and no doubt bloodied him up all the way there. And as I stood outside the courtroom, outside the city walls, I mean, he began to get pummeled with stones. Not just, this is not a, slow, a quick death. This is where in many stones in the Middle East, and they would find stones of various sizes, they'd take him out to the edge of the city, sometimes to the edge of a cliff, and they just begin pummeling him. And it says they began to stone him. You see, who knows how long it would take. And he's bloody in his arm and broken in his feet and hit on the ribs and hit on the back and hit in the neck. And no doubt he's, he's protecting himself in some way. But he began to look up. And it's as if all the pain, all the problems of this world faded away when he got captivated with the glory of Jesus. If he can do that there, how can I not do that here? How can I just get captivated with Jesus in a world that loves to throw stones. You see, that means I have to have a glowing love. I thought about this all week. and thinking, Heath, do you have a glowing love for evil people? No, I don't. It's impossible for me. 
But see, what happens is he began to fix his eyes on Jesus. Jesus began to share his love through him. I don't think it was Stephen who said those words. Father, into your hand I commit my spirit, and Father, do not hold this against him. Those are the last two phrases Jesus said on the cross. As Stephen began to share his heart with Jesus, Jesus began to share his heart with Stephen. Stephen, I've been there. I've been through what you're going through. I stood in that same place just a few months ago. They killed me too. So Stephen, now I just want you to look at me, buddy. You're going to come home just a little bit. I just want to share my heart with you. And I'm going to begin to pray through you, Stephen, as you just surrender yourself and give up your life because you're a martyr. You are the real deal. You're not an apostle. You're not a pastor. You're not a prophet. You're just a man who loves me. And you're going to take it for me because I took it for you. Stephen just began to forget about all the things that could easily entangle him. He began to run his race all the way to that finish line. And Jesus says, let me pray for you, Stephen. He says, Father, into your hands I commit Stephen's spirit. And Father, don't hold this against them. Just like I prayed before just a few months. God, the same men I prayed for a few months ago, I'm going to pray for them again through Stephen. You see, he had empty hands and a glowing love. You see, that's your job and that's my job. Is Jesus more than a man? Prove it. Don't live like the rest of the men. Don't die like the rest of the men. Don't talk like the rest of the men. Don't live your life like the rest of the men. Live it like Jesus. Prove to this world Jesus was more than a man by living like him, by standing like him, by loving like him. He had empty hands. Number two, he had a full heart. The Spirit, the, the Bible, Luke says, he says, Stephen was, if you quote it out, he says, he was full of faith. He was full of grace. He was full of power. He was full of wisdom. And I look at that, I'm like, this is no way I can do what this guy did. Full of grace and power and wisdom. How in the world could anybody do that? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Each one of those characteristics is a characteristic that comes with the immersion of the Holy Spirit. It comes with a life that's surrendered to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And when that early church got immersed in the Spirit, they began to receive the power and love of Jesus Christ. It means they were totally moved and surrendered to the Spirit as He began to power through them and love through them. And here's Stephen, not doing grace and love and power and wisdom and his own nature and his own self, but it was the Holy Spirit that had wisdom. And it was the Holy Spirit that had love. And it was the Holy Spirit that had power. And if you want to be a person who stands for Christ today, it has to be a person in the power and love of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing you or I could ever do to have the wisdom and the grace and the power and the love right there in that text. There's no way I can do that. I can't do it. But all I can do is say, God, I want more of you. You see, they, these early church, they didn't go to Bible school to learn how to do this. They didn't practice it. They didn't go to seminars about it. They just surrendered and said, God, I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to seek your face. There's no other way to stand for Christ except with a heart full of His Spirit. I want you to listen to this. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you have all these qualities and the powers of Christ. And as you begin to stand full in the Holy Spirit, you'll never stand alone. See, there was a promise in Deuteronomy chapter 31 that God had told Moses, when you go stand before the people, I'm going to tell you something. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and of good courage, and do not fear or be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who will go before you and goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And that's why Stephen, as he fixed his gaze on Jesus... And not on the man and all the stones. 
The Bible says he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is important for one reason. If you look at the New Testament, there are ten times the Bible says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. But every time, all ten times, it says He is seated, seated, or He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I love this. This is one of, the, one of my favorite passages because it says that Jesus that day, He saw Him standing. Why? Because Jesus that day, He saw the first martyr who would die for His blood. And He was standing alone. And Jesus stood up, the Bible says, and He was looking to Stephen. And Stephen, as you're standing for me... Stephen, I'm going to stand with you. And I believe that day as he saw him, he says, I see him. And as he says, man, I'm standing for you, Jesus. I'm just fixing my eyes on you. Here's Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, and Jesus gets up. He takes a few steps. I believe in that very last moment, as Stephen, it says that he was being stoned. And he says that wonderful prayer. I think it was like this. I think that last rock just came and hit him in the head. In that moment, I think he reached his hand out. And Jesus reached his hand up. And there in that moment, he was in glory. He went from glory to glory. You can be sure that if you stand for Christ, he's going to stand with you. You'll never be alone when you stand for Christ. He says, don't worry what you're going to say in that hour. I'll tell you what to say. My Holy Spirit, he's going to teach you all things, bring to remembrance all things, everything you need. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't worry what that coworker says about you. Don't worry what that newscaster says about you. Don't worry if that boss passes you over for a promotion. Don't worry if you lose your business, if you lose your house, if they come for you. Don't worry if you're the laughing stock of the town. Young person, don't worry if you're professor says you're going to fail this class unless you write this paper. Don't worry if you're the only Christian in the classroom or the schoolhouse. Don't worry. You'll be standing where he stood. You'll be standing not alone, but with him. Stand with Jesus. He'll stand with you. But we have to have empty hands and full hearts. Empty hands and full hearts. How are you going to stand this week when you go back to work? Some of you are standing for a spouse that doesn't know the Lord. Some of you are standing for teenagers who have gone away. Some of you today are standing in workplaces that are the most ungodly places to work. Some of you are standing for grandchildren who need a biblical worldview. You have to determine how you're going to stand for Christ in this last day. Whether it be someone passing you by and you sense, I need to share my faith with them, and it's going to be uncomfortable. I don't know what I'm going to say. And this guy is a contractor in my house, or a random person at Walmart, or a neighbor. You're like, I don't know if I want to go there and be that awkward person. How will you stand for Christ? This is a day it's not easy, but I promise you if you stand, if you begin to just tell your story and begin to tell them the simple truth of the gospel, you'll be standing right there with him. He'll stand with you. Would you bow your heads and your hearts this morning? When you stand today in this generation, you stand in the place of Christ. You stand at that place of grace with empty hands from a God who could have thrown stones. That Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. You stand in that same place, a place of grace. 
And when you stand, the only people who can stand well are those who are full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. God, I need more grace. God, I need more faith. God, I need more power. God, I need more wisdom. I need to be a person under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And you don't do that by going to Bible school, attending church more, even memorizing more scripture. You do that by seeking the Lord and receiving His free gift. His free gift of the Holy Spirit. His free gift. He wants you to have more of His Spirit. But it comes with this price of laying my life more and more down and fixing my gaze on Him and He begins to share His heart and His power with you. Maybe today you have been fixated on so many issues in the world. It's easy today to be inundated with so much social media garbage, inundated so much with news, inundated so much with all the, the evil that is in the world or maybe even personal problems that you have. And we haven't really been able to find those times to fix our gaze on Jesus, to fix our eyes on Him and let all the troubles of the world pass away and let Him to share His heart with you. You can't stand alone for Him. You need Him to stand with you. And I believe God is calling the church this morning. I believe He's calling us to let everything drown out and just abide in Him. Church, we get so busy just to get in and get out. The finding those quiet moments, even at the ends of our services or even in our prayer closets, in our cars when we're alone, just to fix our gaze on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. And for a joy set before him, he endured the cross for us, despising the shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Would you fix your gaze on Jesus this morning all across this room? I don't know where you are today. Maybe today you are at that place to realize that Jesus has died for you. He went to the cross for you. He went to that place for you to save you. He took your sin. He took your shame. He took the guilt. He waited on his shoulders and he nailed it to a cross and he triumphed over it. He made a spectacle of every uh, accusation the enemy put against you. He, he nailed every written code, every law that the God, the God said you broke. He took it on himself. He made you clean. He wanted you to be one with him, to be adopted, to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be his kid. And the Bible says it's a free gift. Salvation is simply by faith. It means to repent of our sin, to accept Jesus for who he is and in his work on the cross as done and complete. And we don't ever earn it. We can never deserve it. We just simply receive it. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to invite you all across this room. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's just getting back into the right place you need to be in. But all across this room, there's no...